0: So welcome again i 'm so excited that you 're here tonight i 've just been so excited all day just to spend the night with you guys. Um, I just love getting together with the the women and the chicks and the girls and um, tonight is just a special night. Um, I want to tell you kind of how it came about. Um, we we do chick nights three times a year, but we usually have um, a speaker that comes in. And a few months ago, I got an email from um, someone in our church, and she said, you know, I have been through a really rough season in my life um, of infertility and during that time I felt really alone and she said I think it would be really neat if we could share testimonies with each other of just different things we've been through so that the girls know that we're not in this alone right we all go through struggles and and trials and I loved that idea and so um, because of April, April Lovick stand up this is Miss April over here this night is brought to you because of, of her idea that she sent me in an email. And what is extra special is um, her trial of infertility um, ended up in, they, they had an adoption and now she's 36 weeks pregnant. So, yay God. So good. So tonight what we're going to do is we are just going to share some testimonies with you, and I hope that you will just um, be encouraged by them and know that no matter what you're going through tonight, you're not alone. First of all, God is with you, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. He says that in his word. And also, we're, we're with you. We're here together. Um, we're all going through different things in our lives and different struggles, but... Um, just want you to know that you're not alone. And you will get through your trial. You will come out on the other side. And so these testimonies are just um, proof of that tonight. And so we're going to have a couple on video, and then we're going to have a couple live testimonies as well. So first of all, I want you to turn your attention to the screens for our first video testimony.
1: For 30 years, I drank with friends and I was the life of the party and I started the party and I kept the party going till the very end of the night. I stayed at bars till bar close. I left with guys at bar close that I didn't know. I had multiple affairs on my husband. I have four kids and um, you think you're hiding it from your kids but really you're not. My son told me that he would open the garage door and if mom was dancing on the picnic table he knew he wasn't going to get tucked into bed at night Um, so my partying was fun but it took its toll and at the end i sat basically in my garage alone and i would drink and i would try to call people and reach out to just find things to do even in my drunkenness and my wild days. I believed in Jesus but I hadn't surrendered. So in 2007, I was invited to River Valley Church by um, a friend of mine who stuck by me through thick and thin. I thought that I was just gonna go to church and add it into my life of partying. When I came, um, God got a hold of me and I knew that it was His plan I could tell that it was his plan for me to be here. I was with a pastor here, and I just said, you know, doesn't God know that I'm doing all these things that are good? can I just every once in a while just, you know, have a drink and get drunk or whatever? And she said to me, um, where do you want to be? What condition do you want to be in when Jesus comes back? I didn't want to be leaving the bar with a guy. That I didn't even know and Jesus comes back and see the disappointment on his face. I wanted to be clear-minded. I wanted to be serving him and I want him to look at me and say well done right at that moment and I would just hold my hands out and I would just pray God take these hands because they're they're not my hands they're yours and do with them whatever it is that you want because of his strength and his strength alone, these hands can do anything. Because it says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world. So then after that, I just went full in. I started to serve even more. I would call the church pretty much every day and ask where they needed my help. Today I get to work at church. I'm the receptionist at church and daily I talk to people that call and they're struggling and I pray with them and I talk to them. I'm married to a guy that I never thought I'd be with and now my daughter has completely broke the chain She is raising her kids, coming to church, knowing Jesus. And I am so thankful. I'm so thankful for Jesus changing my life so that these little kids can have this life, and their lives won't be anything like their Grammys was. It's awesome.
0: It's unbelievable. Oh, isn't that great? So that was Jenny, and like she said, she works at the church, and she's our receptionist, so she's the first person you see when you walk in the door, and she has a smile from ear to ear, and she just brings so much joy to us, and she's at the Savage Campus tonight for their chick night, that's where she usually attends church, so she wanted me to greet you um, from her, but... Just an incredible testimony of addiction, um, of the amazing things she's overcome. She helps now with our Celebrate Recovery ministry, which is, um, you know, helping people through out of addiction. And so um, just know that if you know someone or if you yourself are struggling with addiction, there is hope and and help for you. And Jenny is such a testimony to that. So just thankful for her for sharing that. And now we're gonna, I'm going to invite um, Stephanie and Sally up here on the stage, and they're going to share um, just from their lives some, some of the things they've been through. So come on up. We're going to do a little interview style, so it'll be like, I don't know what it's like. I don't watch to, talk shows, really. Um, Regis and Kelly, they're not on anymore. Kelly and Michael, I think it is. Anyway... Thanks, you guys, so much for sharing. Um, This is Stephanie and Sally, and Stephanie is going to share with us first just a little bit about her life and how God got a hold of her. So, Stephanie.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here tonight. Um, I hope that my story touches your lives. Come with me, if you will, into the life of a teenage fashion model. Actually, 20 years in the fashion industry. As a small-town Florida girl, I was discovered by a modeling agent and a prominent photo- uh, photo- Italian photographer. He had shot girls like Cindy Crawford and Naomi Campbell, and the agent, he you know, represented these models all over the world. They told me to pack my bags, that I would travel the world, make lots of money, and, and shoot magazines. It was unreal. I mean, here I was, this tall, thin, shy kid, being invited into this glamorous world that so few get to experience. Later, I shot the cover of a magazine, like one week later, and I signed a contract with one of the world's top modeling agencies. I began traveling the globe to Paris and Milan and Barcelona and New York and Miami. Soon I found myself walking the runway in couture dresses that were upwards of $150,000. I was once covered in millions of dollars worth of Tiffany's diamonds and escorted on set by armed guards. I saw my face on billboards, on posters in malls, on commercials, and in magazines. I shot in exotic locations. I saw the world and experienced cultures I had only read about. It was a world that was over my head. It was a lonely place where I had to grow up really quick. I was roommates with a guest jean supermodel who did drugs, rarely ate, and barely spoke to me. It was cutthroat. Everyone was trying to make it to the top, including myself. And then there was always the allure of the darker side of the industry. I assimilated into this culture of of wild parties, drugs, fashion, eating disorders, and rampant sexuality. Drugs and promiscuity just became a normal part of my life. The group of models that I hung out with were just like these feral girls. I mean, it was just, they were wild and unsupervised, and the industry is very unregulated. Uh, Partying just became our life. We would stay out all night, and clients didn't seem to mind when we showed up the next day with dark circles under our eyes, because they would say, you know, that's what makeup artists are for. Wow. Um, Models are always on the VIP list at clubs, at parties. We never waited in line. It was all about being seen. When musicians or DJs were in town for gigs, we were always the first ones they called to put on the party list. I hung out with Playboy princes on their yachts on the French Riviera. I flew on private jets, hung out with professional athletes, and rubbed shoulders with famous people. I rode around in Bentleys and Lamborghinis with men who were old enough to be my father. I was shooting magazines like Cosmo and Vogue and Mademoiselle and Self. I worked for designers like Gucci and Yves Saint Laurent and Dolce Gabbana, Ralph Lauren. I lived on the Upper East Side in New York City, a couple blocks from the Met. I can make more money in one day than my parents could in an entire year. Yet, it was never enough for me or for the people who represented me. I was treated like a commodity. I was bought and sold. I was traded. I was constantly weighed, measured, scrutinized, belittled. I've been put on the most inhumane diets known to mankind, and I'm not even kidding you. (laughs) It was difficult sometimes to separate myself as the product from myself as the person. Sometimes I just wondered who I was. I didn't even know anymore and I didn't like where I was headed. It seemed like as the years passed, the closer I came to fame and fortune, the emptier my life became. I noticed that the lives of many of the world's rich and famous were also very empty. My friends were always like in and out of drug rehab and we always seemed to be just searching for something to fill this void in our lives. From the outside, I would smile and project this image of happiness for magazines, but I was really, really empty on the inside. The things I accumulated didn't really make me happy like I thought they would. And partying with people who didn't really care about me didn't thrill me anymore, and neither did seeing myself in pictures. I just wondered where the glamorous life I thought I was gonna live, you know, like what happened to that? And disillusionment set in. And then I just kept up this fake image for years Sometimes I would just lay in bed at night and just wonder, like, there has to be more to life than this. Sometimes I would think about death, like, what's gonna happen to me when I die? You know, where do I stand? So all these things are going on in my head, but no one could see it because, you know, I was this fake person. Then the course of my life radically changed when I was on a photo shoot in Dallas, Texas. I met this girl named Andrea when I was working out at a health club. And she was on a worship team at a local Bible college, and there was just something about her that just drew me in. She had the living God on the inside of her. Mm -hmm. And people can sense that about you. I didn't know what it was, but I just definitely wanted to be around her. Mm -hmm. And she could have had taken one look at me and said, oh my gosh, I can't talk to her. Or, you know, she could have been intimidated by my icy attitude, my designer workout clothes. But those things were just bricks in a wall that I had built to keep people out. Mm. And she was not timid about her faith at all, and she broke down my walls with her kindness. So she ends up inviting me to go hear her sing. Um, she's performing or performing worship before this evangelist. And for some weird reason, I agreed to go. I mean, like... Weird. I don't know why I agreed to go. Like, <laughs> so... Yeah, I was like, okay, I'll go, and then I'll just leave as soon as she's off the stage because there is no way I'm gonna go listen to some guy preach, you know? (laughs) And after the life I had been leading, I was just pretty sure that a church would just burst into flames if I walked in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I was so wrong. During worship, it was a lot like this atmosphere, and during worship, I just observed people with their arms raised and they were passionate about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they had something that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. And I stood there, and it was like the presence of God just enveloped me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it was like pure love was just pouring all over me, and it was reaching the deepest parts of my heart that Mm -hmm. no one could see Mm -hmm. the broken places that I tried to hide Mm -hmm. from everyone. And I broke. I mean, it was just like a damn breaking. And I just, I was just bawling. I'm just standing there bawling. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking to myself, what am I doing? I need to, I need to get it together. <laughs> but you know what? I had never experienced the loving presence of God before, ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, ever. And I couldn't ignore the tangible reality of God in that place. Mm-hmm. I stayed. <laughs> the, the evangelist gave his testimony. Um, It was powerful. I had never heard of God's transforming love or power, that he could take a man on the verge of death on drugs and change his life completely. Mm -hmm. I didn't think God wanted someone like that or someone like me. I thought I had gone too far to be accepted by God. I thought God only wanted perfect people, that maybe I should clean myself up first. His words were like water on a dry and parched ground. That was my life however on one hand i had always considered myself a pretty good person especially when i compared myself to my really bad friends (laughs) yeah i mean i didn't do nearly as many drugs as them sometimes i was the driver you know oh good for you yeah and um sometimes i gave when i was in new york sometimes i would give money to homeless people Um, I helped my family out financially. I read self-help books and followed the steps. But as I stood there in the presence of a holy God, it was like a bright light was shining on my life. And for the first time, I saw all of my shame, all of my guilt, and all of my sin. I knew I had wronged God. I had done wrong to other people. I had sinned against my own soul so many times in my feelings, in my thoughts, in my actions, in my conversation, in my world, in my business, and in my pleasure. Throughout my life, I had done so many things I shouldn't have done, and I had left undone so many things I should have done. It was overwhelming. But in that moment, I realized that God wanted me just like I was. Despite all of my flaws, I was accepted. I was loved. The evangelist gave this altar call and I didn't go down forward, I just really hoped that God could hear me from my seat, And I prayed, God forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Mm -hmm. Today I give you my life, come into my heart Jesus, be my savior, be my Lord and be my best friend. From this moment forward, I am yours and I meant it. When I left, the sky seemed to be bluer and the grass seemed to be greener, but it was just God already at work in my heart the death sentence was removed from my life. When I returned to Manhattan, my agency told me I was off to Paris and Milan and that just scared me because I didn't think, how am I going to be a Christian over there? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that night I ended up at this party in Nicolas Cage's penthouse at the Carlisle Hotel.
0: Oh Um, yeah, I I, I go there sometimes too. (laughs)
2: But this time, partying was different. A, I was sober, and B, I was consumed by my new reality, and I just wow. wanted to talk to everybody.
0: Yeah.
2: I think I witnessed to every drunk person there. I didn't <laughs> know I was witnessing, I just was telling everyone what happened to me. And um, I remember talking to one of the heads of this major um, record, record label, and, and she nearly broke down in tears because she talked about going to church as a child and how she longed for the mm. peace she used to have. And how you know she didn't think she'd ever find it again and I was still you know a new believer and I didn't know what to say Um, (laughs) but you know when I got to Paris and Milan I fell flat on my face and sin I ran into old acquaintances and found myself being dragged back into a lifestyle that I would tried so hard to turn my back on I felt convicted I wanted God in my life but I didn't know how to be a Christian so I bought this King James Version Bible and I tried to read it, but it didn't make an ounce of sense to me.
0: <laughs> doesn't make sense to us either. It's okay.
2: <laughs> I mean, when are they going to retire that thing, <laughs> just kidding, yeah. just kidding. Um, so I I didn't know how to be a Christian, so I ended up at the Duomo Cathedral in Milan and. I remember just sitting there in this beautiful cathedral, staring up at the stained glass windows, and um, just crying out to God in my heart. I mean, I didn't know what to do. Do I go talk to a priest? I mean, I didn't really know what to do. Um, but I just remember saying to God in my heart, you know what? I can't do this Christian thing. This is just too hard. You know, just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Stop answering my prayers. Stop putting all this favor on my life. Um, I'm just not worth your time. I just really felt like I was just going to keep letting God down over and over. And, but, you know, when I, I started reading my Bible again, I started reading the Word of God, and I came across verses like Hebrews thirteen five that says, He will never leave me or forsake me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I found out my name was written on the palms of His hands. And God just didn't give up on me. He just began doing this deep, transforming work in my life and showed me that I could do all things to Christ who strengthens me. He gave me a desire to separate myself from ungodliness. And then I found this church in South Beach. Yes, there is a church in South Beach, (laughs) Miami. Um, I was baptized on Ocean Drive where everyone parties and goes topless and Kim Kardashian has her show filmed. The pastor and his wife and my new church family just began to pour into my life and taught me how to pray and how to walk the walk. They encouraged me to share my faith. And God began to place His desires for the lost in my heart and remove the desires for the things of this world. I knew it was time for me to pick up my cross and follow Christ and reach out to the others in the fashion industry. I started an outreach where people in fashion could come and learn about God's love. It was amazing to watch. I watched as God changed the lives of supermodels, bookers, photographers, makeup artists, and stylists. I have been ridiculed and made fun of because of my faith in Christ. It's cost me clients and bookings, and I've had to walk off many sets. But that's okay, because the eternal payoffs have been so tremendous. Mm-hmm. Looking back on my life, I really don't even recognize that young girl on, her way to, on the way to the top. God has given me such a new life and a new destiny in him. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Thank you for listening. Wow,
0: that is so incredible, I mean I have never met a supermodel before, I don't know about you but don't, I I think a lot of us, you know, have, I don't know why they're laughing, A lot of us, I think as young girls or even young women, you know, you kind of fantasize about it. Like, oh, what an amazing life that would be, you know, traveling the world and, and you know, getting to see all those places. and, And it's just so refreshing to hear that, you know she would trade it all for her relationship with Christ. And that's what it's all about. And so I just really wanted you to hear that testimony and just know that, you know, a lot of times I think we glamorize things that really um, we shouldn't. And the most important thing that we can have in our life is a relationship with Christ. So that's just such an incredible testimony. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, And now we're going to have Miss Sally Kasten share with us because she's been through a few few trials in her life, her young life so far. So, Sally, share with us. You just called me young. I did. I'll take that.
4: That's good. I haven't been called that in a long time. Okay, so, you know, you know a lot about my story. Um, I think... um, One of the different facets of my story began when my husband and I began to contemplate having a family. And so um, in that quest, um, it started out very easy for us. Um, Within the first couple months of trying, um, I wound up um, getting pregnant with our son, Scotty. And he um, was born January 4th of 2005, And I was really ill. I think you remember how ill I was for about a week. I was in the hospital about a week and a half. And I remember the very first time I held him, and I looked at him, and I thought, surely this is the hand of God brought forth this child. And everything um, within me became became so much more clear and so much more abundant because, um, I mean a lot of you here are moms, but being a mom is probably one of the most spiritual things you could ever experience, I think, in life and bringing forth the next generation of believers that are going to carry forth the word of God and bring God glory and on and on and on. And I just remember this overwhelming abundance of love I felt for this child. And so um, everything was great. We went home and you know that six-week ban that you have? Yes, you we know do. Where, yes, know about that. some like that more than others. <laughs> I wanted a baby right away. So six weeks, I was like, and go. So we were like, because I wanted another one, man. I was loving this I, thing. I was,
0: I was not quite like that. I don't know about any of you, but it <laughs> took me a couple years to get there.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I was all, let's giddy up. Let's do this thing. We're getting another baby. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, I won't get, I won't, I gave enough detail, apparently. So in September of 2005, I got pregnant again, and so we were very, very excited. It was was great, you know, and one interesting thing, though, I forgot to mention in the first pregnancy was the first trimester, I kind of felt unusual, like I felt sort of crampy and just things that I thought I shouldn't be feeling, you know, in the beginning stages of a pregnancy. And I remember speaking with my doctor about it, and she said, you know, here's some signs to look for. Should anything arise, you know, call me up. And so I never really worried about it with my first pregnancy. And the second pregnancy started out kind of the same, a little less, though. And around the 12th week, which actually happened to be New Year's Eve of 2005, I started spotting. And I didn't think much of it because I thought, well, maybe it's just this or that or the other thing. And it had been so easy you know, to get pregnant with Scotty, to get pregnant with this baby. And I called my doctor and she said, you know what? I think I want you to come and you could be having a miscarriage. And I was like what you know not possible you know went in and actually i did lose the baby uh and it was interesting because january 2nd i was in the hospital having a procedure done and it was almost a year to the day the year prior i'd had my son so the the prominence of that really struck me and, it, and i was in the same maternity ward i was on the same floor it was just brutal um So we moved on with life, started trying again. I got pregnant in um, September of 2006, again. Six weeks later, I lost that baby. Um, And October 24th, 2006, and I remember the date specifically because it's so redemptive on the other end of it. But, um, yeah, totally sad, totally devastated. And um, just remember thinking, okay, you know, What's the, what's the one thing that I haven't been doing in this building my family process? And I sort of remember thinking, you know, I haven't really been trusting God with this process as much as I probably should be. While the, the prominence of being a mom and the whole spirituality aspect of bringing forth a child and all that that child can do to bring glory to God, I'd sort of forgotten that God is in control of my family planning, that I can't just do the, the giddy-up and we're off to go, you know? Yeah. So, all that to say, um, I began to grieve because the first baby I didn't really grieve. I was so focused on what I wanted, what I wanted, what I wanted. And I can remember the grief, it was just so horrendous and so painful because it was not just one, but it was two. And I kind of glossed over the first one, truth be told. the grief just kept magnifying and magnifying. I, I eventually wound up where I was falling into some confusion. And you know, confusion is a tool of the enemy. I was buying into the lies and buying into all this and that. And I kind of came to a crossroads where I was like, man, I got I to gotta really dig in. I've got to figure out what's happening here. And, and I, I remember an utterance from my heart where the Lord said, you have to trust me in all things, not just the things that look good, feel good, but you have to trust me in these hard times. You have to really put forth an effort. And I happened upon Psalm 51, verse 1, that says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And, man, that, just, that verse just spoke to me. And... Um, despite what I felt with my body, despite what I felt with my feelings and my emotions, he offers to blot out my transgressions. Mm-hmm. And it just offered such hope to me. And so in the process of healing emotionally and spiritually from just that little pocket of uh, confusion and whatnot, um, I came to a point where I actually I, I needed pastoral counsel because I just didn't know what to do with this. I was like, do I go down the adoption path? Because I had found out that no longer was I, my body was no longer working. It had shut down. Because we started the process again, and I wasn't ovulating, and all kinds of things happened there. And um, I remember this pastor said to me, "Look, you know, you have got to trust God no matter what path you take. Mm -hmm. It all comes down and boils down to an issue of trust." And um, and this pastor wound up saying, "You know, if you choose the path of adoption." That's fine. God will bless you in that if you choose the path of going the infertility route, which is ultimately what we had to do because my body had just stopped working. And um, he will bless that. It will, there will be an ease to it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? There just, it will it'll feel right. Mm-hmm. And so because I just loved, I loved, loved, I know I'm a strange beast, but I loved being pregnant. I mean, strange, I strange, very strange. Uh, I. I, I was fully the one that got the pregnancy pictures taken. You know, I was all, yeah, here we go. Never did that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah.
0: Good I, was for you. All over,
4: I was all over that. I loved it. I wore the tight shirts and, you know, that whole ball of wax. I loved every second of you being pregnant. You are ahead of your
0: time on that. Business. I
4: know, right? Good job. <laughs> I didn't let the belly hang out, though. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <sighs> I like the extra commentary here. Sorry. It's, I'm all just... it's all good.
2: It's all good. It's all good.
4: So we, we decided to go down the infertility path, and it was really interesting because at the start of, at the start of it, um, we had received a referral from a, a colleague of my husband's, and she had said, you know, you've got to, this is a great clinic, da-da-da, called it up, and they're like, yeah, the next available appointment is in six to ten months. And I was like, Oh, are you kidding me? You know, so I called my husband and I said, I can't even get into this clinic. He called his colleague back. She was friends with the doctor at this practice. So she called her friend, you know, just like I could call you and be like, Hey, can you get my friend in? So she did that, right? She called her friend and a nurse called me like a couple hours later and was like, Yeah, you can see Dr. So-and-so on Monday. And I was like, Oh Lord, praise you, Jesus, you know. And so I, I had lots of excitement and During my study time, I read this verse that said, in Psalm 20, verses 4, it said, May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shoot, or rather, we will shout for joy when you are victorious. I'm not commenting. Okay, it's fine. fine. I was waiting for you to kind of smooth over that one shall we start over? (laughs) Rewind, rewind. Okay, so Psalm 20, verse 4, it says, may he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and we will lift up our banner in the name of our God. May the Lord grant you all your requests. And at that moment, I felt like I am here. I trust you, God. I am fully walking in what this looks like. My senses are heightened. I'm aware you're present. I get it. I'm here. I trust you no matter what. Now my, my trusting no matter what was a big deal because the outcomes in the previous two circumstances were very different. So, okay. So all that to say, six weeks from my first appointment, I was pregnant. Okay, I went through a battery of tests and they found they found that there were a lot of issues. Uh, one of the one being a lymphocyte incompatibility, which basically means that. Scott's genes and my genes, when they combine, they combat one another, and my body wants to get rid of it, which that's not all that great, but it it makes it impossible really to carry pregnancy to term because of that condition, and I said to the doctor immediately, I said, why do I have my son? And she's like, yeah, you shouldn't, just like, there's, you shouldn't, and so, um, I immediately was like, I breathed up a prayer of thanks. I'm like, thank you for birthing this desire of being a mother in my heart through my son. You know, I just, I cannot thank you enough, God. So we moved forward. I wound up pregnant, and um, I'm happy to say I have a four-year-old little old daughter now, Stella. Yes, Stella. Um, she was born in June of 2008, and it was great. It was such a joyous day, and um, yeah, it was awesome. So, um from that point on, um, you have, you know, those follow-up appointments you have mm-hmm. uh, after you're, you deliver a baby. And I went to the first appointment. It was about, I think, six weeks after she was born and had to have a routine pap smear done. They did the pap smear and came back abnormal. And the doctor said, you know what, it's probably just, you know, your body's kind of getting back to balance and it's just probably nothing. So why don't you come back in, like, five or six months? We'll do another one. You'll be good to go. So I came back. Um, I think it was in February of 09 and had the pap smear done. The second one came back abnormal. And um, the doctor said, you know, let's just do this other procedure. We'll verify, and just you're probably fine. Let's just do, you know, another test. And so we did the test. I think it was like the Thursday before Easter, so it was March of 2009. And um, I had a baby and a 3-year-old. We were going out of town for Easter. So we left town. I went quick, had the procedure done. We left town. Sunday morning, it was Easter. We woke up. My husband's like, man, I'm really sick. Like, I am fully really sick. And I said, "Pansy, oh, you know. <laughs> Seriously, when men get sick, like, I got to dig up every ounce of compassion I have. So I'm like, are you kidding me right
0: now? Seriously. So anyway. Again, not commenting. <laughs> So I
4: put on my aww face and, (laughs) you know, and he actually wound up after church. He was really sick. He he had this massive headache and he was sweating and da-da-da. So I said, you know, we should probably take you to the ER. Let's just get this figured out. Took him to the ER on Easter morning. He was admitted to the hospital with meningitis. Yeah, so I don't do that anymore. (laughs) Um, So anyway... Long story short, he was admitted. Um, I had brought enough supplies to get us through a three-day Easter weekend. I, had, you know, of course had Stella, who was a baby, and Scotty was three. And um, got him settled in the hospital, got my kids settled. Tuesday morning, um, I was on my way out the door, and my phone rang. It was my doctor's office, and I was like, oh, my word, it's probably the test results from that thing, you know, whatever. Forgotten about it, totally forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. Picked up the phone and it was actually my doctor. Now, when you get the call and it's actually the doctor, mm-hmm. it's not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> so unless you're Laura Engels time when the doctor actually called you. You know, who's Laura Wilder fan? I, you know, was so Doc Baker just came to your house back then, but <laughs> it's not the case anymore. <laughs> well he did. And then you'd give him a jar of canned pickles and he'd be on his way. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, it wasn't Doc Baker. Um, so the doctor, she just said, you know, hey, how you doing? What's going on? I'm like, what's up? Because why are you calling? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why are you calling me? Yeah. And she said, you know what? I, um, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but you have, you have cervical cancer. There's no easy way around this. You just need to know. Um, and she said, I have an appointment for you tomorrow with an oncologist. You need to hightail it back here because the type of cancer that it is is a super active form, and I don't know how far it spread. So, um, I hightailed it back here. I left my husband in the hospital in Wisconsin, brought my two kids back um, to the cities, and um, went and met with the oncologist. Um, put a plan in place. And actually, at that moment in time, I can remember in my prayer and daily devotions time, do, devotional time, the Lord uttering to my heart every word that comes off the tips of your fingers needs to be shared. And I thought, well, okay. Yeah, I'll do that, God, of course. Whatever you need. But God, I'm really, you know, I have cancer here. I'm really Mm -hmm. struggling. And he said, in your struggles, I will be glorified. Mm -hmm. Off the tips of your fingers, my glory will be expanded. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, okay, so what does that mean? And I just kind of... deducted on my own just to send emails out and this was you know this was hard because this was like private Mm -hmm. prayer stuff this was between me and God wasn't really anything I wanted to share but um I I I did I I felt like that's what God wanted me to do and so I did that day and day in day out for weeks and weeks I wrote my prayer requests out and sent them out to a group of people that God appointed them to receive I I didn't Mm -hmm. pick those people out and Psalm 91 became my banner during that time and The latter part of it says in verse 14, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he has acknowledged my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, with long, long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Mm -hmm. And that those words, with long life I will satisfy him, became my, that buoy, right, in the Mm -hmm. middle of the lake. It's what I hung on to. It's what I believe to be true for my life. Mm -hmm. It was what I hung on to for all those days and days and weeks leading up to my surgery. And um, in that time, um, looking back, I felt sort of like, and this is kind of a, a strange analogy, but I pressed in so deeply and so hard with the Lord that he He literally protected me from feelings of... I mean, think of all the things that you can think of. Right. I mean, the, the way you're wretched, the enemy can just take your mind and just take it wretched places and yeah. just really wreck you. And so um, I can remember one time, and this is God's honest truth, one time... We were driving down the road. It was our little brand-new family, and Scott and I and Scotty were singing a song, and the baby, she couldn't sing, of course, but I remember feeling this. I was allowed to feel what it would be like to lose all of that, Mm -hmm. to lose my life, Um, and I thought, surely, surely you will satisfy me with long life. I will be satisfied with the blessing of a long life. So... I referenced Psalm 91 through my journey so many times. And earlier in the verse, in verse 3, it starts out by saying, Surely he will save you from the faller's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you will find refuge. Mm -hmm. It became so real to me. Yep. And I literally have never felt that kind of protection. I felt protected, you know? Mm-hmm. It was sort of like um, the Secret Service for Sally Kasten's mind, you know? <laughs> it's like I had my own, like, you know, little army of people or, you know, yeah. God was just like, no way. You are not being messed with so I can get the glory. Yeah. At the end of this story, I want the glory. And so I, I just pressed into him. I have no other way of explaining it, but his grace and mercy were so powerful Mm -hmm. in that time of my life. And it was just such an honor. But anyway, so long story short, in May of 09, I had surgery Mm -hmm. and, um, I'm happy to say that they got all the cancer in the one surgery. Yes. And yes. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Yes. So, um, I am approaching in May of this year my fourth year cancer free. And it is so good. Yeah, God is so good. And, you know, one last quick thing as I close um, those emails I was telling you that I was sending out, um, about a year and a half after my surgery, I had this friend who goes to church here. She approached me and said, You know, do you have a second? I have a gift for you. I'm like, Gift? Yeah. (laughs) I have more than a second. (laughs) That's my love language, right, Sal? (laughs)
3: Totally.
4: And you know what she did, you guys? She said to me, she said, you know, those emails that you sent out, I kind of had forgotten about that, you know, because I was just kind of in the God tunnel, you know, where it was just him and I. And she said, I, took, I, re- I referenced those a lot. And I said, well, that is so cool, praise God. And she said, yeah, no, no, I do. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And she said, you know, I loved them so much that I made them into a book for you.
0: Aww.
4: And so she took the prayers that I sent out every day for days and days and weeks and weeks and she put them and crafted them into this lovely book which in turn, because of her obedience in doing that, I have shared with so many women um, in the ministries that I've been in I've loaned it out and they've been blessed as well so God is the glorious God He operates so fully and wants the glory out of your life and obedience was just such a key component of that Yeah,
0: that's incredible Thank you, Sally I just think it's so fun to hear. I mean, you sit next to people in church every weekend, and you have no idea, right, what they're going through. I mean, cancer and infertility and, you know, who knows, divorce, bankruptcy, you don't know what they're going through. And so, um, again, that was just our purpose for tonight, was to just share with you that we all go through struggles and trials, but God is so faithful. He's so faithful. We just have one more testimony for you tonight, and that's um, on video, so take a look at the screens one last time
3: one of my biggest dreams was to be a mother and in 2006 our first child was born and I can remember when the nurse laid him in my arms how I smiled and cried at the same time a few years later we were in the ultrasound room awaiting to see what we were having and the technician said that we were having a girl. And instantly we named her Madeline Anne. And I remember leaving the hospital and feeling so excited for what the future held. I was working in dialysis part-time during this time and I was taking care of a patient when little did I know that I would become a patient next. My water would break at 26 weeks gestation and they would rush me up to the OB floor. There, a doctor would come in, and he would tell me that uh, signs were pretty bad that uh, Maddie could possibly be born within hours. And I just remember feeling so overwhelmed and praying to God to just save this baby's life, to save my life. At the time, we didn't know exactly what was happening. Four days later, Maddie was born. My husband was the first to see her and I remember he came into the room of the OR and he had tears in his eyes and he said, she's tiny but she's beautiful and I just remember thinking, Is she breathing and he said yes and I was finally able to go and see her four hours later. She was only one pound 14 ounces but she had this beautiful hair and beautiful eyes But I was also sad, I was sad to see all the tubes and I felt helpless and I couldn't hold her. Maddie had a struggle with her life. She had three different surgeries and the last one was a shunt that was to be placed. The shunt was placed um, and 24 hours later, we found out from a team of doctors that it was blocked and that it had meningitis. After that, there was a meeting and the meeting said that Maddie would pass away. I remember my husband and I were sitting in the room and our faces were full of tears and we just kind of looked at each other thinking how did that happen and why did that happen and and why us? Um, The next hours were things that I would never prepare myself for. Uh, We were holding Maddie and taking turns without tubes for the very first time. Um, and slowly watched her take her last breath. I remember thinking I couldn't put my foot outside the hospital leaving her, Um, but I had to take something from God that said, you're not leaving her behind because she's always coming with you. I still remember after Maddie's wake, we went to church, and I wasn't feeling like I really wanted to worship God at that moment because I was so broken. And there was a man that was standing in the front of the church he said i I encourage you to yell out to god to just let him know he's such a powerful big god that he can handle that and the truth is that he wants to know that you're hurting he already knows it but he wants you to have a conversation with him and he wants you to tell him all the pains and the burdens that you're carrying so when we got home from church i started pacing back and forth thinking how am i going to do that. And that was when I started to yell out to God for the first time since we had lost Maddie. And I yelled at him for destroying um, all the dreams that I had for her. I yelled at him for making me feel like I failed as a mom because I couldn't hold Maddie in as long as I should have. Um, but then I just remember falling on my knees in pain and begging God for help. remember reaching out saying I just need somebody to help me I don't know how to live the life that you created for me and I feel like I'm drowning in the grief I'm too weak I'm crushed I don't feel like I can handle this and I remember him saying to me I too know what it's like to lose a child my son was nailed and beaten to the cross And I just remember being on my knees saying, I surrender to you. I don't know why you've done this. I don't know um, what is to come, but I'm not walking away from you. And I held my hand up in the air as if I could almost touch him. And I just remember that was one of the most amazing points of my journey. This is a scripture that I felt like God laid on my heart. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me, and you will come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek, and you will find me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to captive. Jeremiah 29, 1-14